Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to thank you for taking time to be with us today as we provide useful information and insights to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get more, better broadband everywhere it needs to be in the U.S. Today, I'm very happy to be broadcasting from Chattanooga, Tennessee, home of the uh, first gigabit network, and uh, we're here for uh, this, this program called Gig Tank, uh, which brings a lot of entrepreneurial teams together to work on applications that take advantage of the gigabit network. And in fact, several of the teams that were that, that are that are part of the summer program were on the show a couple of weeks ago. So if you haven't listened to that interview, that would be a good thing to pick up. Um, today, we're going to talk about applications uh, and, and broadband adoption, uh, which I think is a very fitting topic considering the Gig Tank and Demo Day uh, activities. And I wanted to look at, in particular, telemedicine, which is one of those areas that, that broadband promises to really deliver some great uh, benefits. Uh, our guest today is Chris Tamarin, who is the telecom specialist uh, strategist sorry, for the Oregon Business Development Department, and he's going to uh, join us today to talk about what's going on in Oregon, because Oregon has some really impressive stats uh, for broadband adoption and a very low percentage of folks that are unserved by broadband technology. Chris, welcome to the show. Hi, Craig. So um, let's talk about uh, – let's start by talking a little bit about uh, Oregon. I think if, um, if I'm remembering my stats correctly, you guys have uh, the, the highest uh, percentage of broadband adoption in the country, and you also have something like only 2% of the, of the population is unserved, which is uh, – I mean, it's, it's, it's magnificent. It's great. How did you do all that? <laughs> Well, first of all, I think you're giving us a little too, uh, too much credit. I think according to NTIA, uh, Oregon ranks sixth uh, in, in the country as a state um, uh, in terms of broadband adoption, uh, although I think that's also a, a high ranking given that Oregon is a large western state with a relatively uh, small population. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, okay, you know, how, how do we achieve that is a, uh, is, is a good question. Um, I, I guess by being uh, engaged in the issue for a very long time. Um, Oregon State Government and certainly uh, its telecommunications service providers have been focused uh, on this issue uh, for for many years. Um, and as a result, uh, Oregon has some you know, developed broadband policy uh, that exists in statute and in resolution uh, that I think have provided uh, good guidelines for uh, for state government agencies, for uh, for decision makers uh, statewide, for economic development in uh, addressing uh, this issue of telecommunications infrastructure uh, and broadband. Um, perhaps I could share with you just a couple of uh, broad policy statements that are in statute and resolution for Oregon uh, to for begin it, with. For it. Yeah, uh, it's the goal of the state to promote uh, access to broadband services for all Oregonians in order to improve the economy in Oregon, improve the quality of life in Oregon communities, 
and reduce the economic gap between communities that have access to broadband uh, and those that do not. Uh, further, it's the policy of the state to encourage and support the rapid deployment of broadband telecom services in areas of the state uh, where it does not exist in order to support uh, redundancy uh, and ensure homeland security protections and ensure emergency, emergency communications for public safety. It's the policy of the state uh, to promote, facilitate, and encourage activities and projects and businesses that improve uh, Oregon's internet protocol, IP network infrastructure, uh, performance and connectivity to the internet backbone network and the World Wide Web for the benefit of uh, commercial, educational, governmental, and individual users. Uh, that's kind of a, a sampling of the types of policy uh, statements that we have that provide guidance. And I'll add, like to add one more quote. Uh, this is from a bill that passed in this year's uh, legislative session, uh, a bill that establishes a new office of the state of uh, chief information officer uh, for the purpose of coordinating, directing policy and uh, uh, for state government and state agencies and planning, acquiring, installing, and using telecom and information technology. Uh, but the, the policy statement in that bill that I wanted to uh, cite was that it's the policy of the state of Oregon uh, that state government telecommunications networks should be designed to provide state-of-the-art services um, using shared rather than dedicated lines and facilities. Uh, the department shall, when procuring telecommunications network services, consider achieving the economic development and quality life uh, outcomes uh, set forth in the Oregon benchmarks. And I think that's a, that's a real important um, uh, statement of policy. And, and what, it's, what it's aimed at addressing is that, uh, you know, among other things, uh, state government uh, is a large consumer of telecommunication services, and it has uh, you know a sizable purchasing power, uh, especially when you consider that uh, other local governments typically also can purchase off of state uh, service contracts. So this this recognizes that role, and uh, this also establishes the position that the state can use that role to promote. Uh, service availability for all of its citizens and in turn promote economic development. So, for example, to the extent that a, that a state government uh, builds its own single user network uh, to serve its uh, telecommunications needs, its organizations, um, if it builds and operates its own network, it takes itself out of the marketplace as a customer for services, uh, which has, can have a negative impact on private sector investment in infrastructure, uh, and this is particularly um, uh, impactful in rural areas of a state where state government you know, with, a, with a hospital or a prison uh, or offices may be one of the larger uh, prospective customers in, uh, you know, in, in a small town. And if the state government takes itself out of the marketplace by providing its own single-user network, uh, that can negatively impact all other users uh, in, in that small town. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a, uh, a, a survey of the types of um, policy directions that have been uh, established. And again, uh, we've been dealing uh, with, with these questions and uh, issues uh, for, for over 20 years. Mm -hmm. Now, do you know what it was that got Oregon moving down this path in the early 90s? Because at that particular time, 
you know, this whole concept of, you know, broadband and so forth was somewhat in its infancy. I, I mean, I do remember that the uh, the Clinton administration made some initial advancements in this area. You know, they wanted to get schools wired. They wanted to get a lot of facilities wired. And I think that was the first time at a national level that people started, you know, the general public, the general public started talking about, uh, you know, high-speed Internet and making sure that more and more people got connected. But I think at the state level, as far as driving policy, uh, wasn't Oregon then pretty much on the front end as far as, uh, you know, states taking up the initiative? Uh, I think so, and, and it was fairly remarkable. Um, as you mentioned, in 1991, uh, the, the governor of Oregon uh, organized a, a telecommunications task force. Um, and, and, of course, in 1991, this was before uh, commercialization of, of the Internet, so there was no World Wide Web uh, yet. And um, this, this study was an amazing uh, piece of work, and it had a tremendous amount of uh, in insight. Uh, and, and, again, that means to share some of the findings of the study. Um, it noted that uh, electronic highways in the 21st century will move information at an unprecedented pace, Oregon's changing technology is becoming more information intensive, and our success in the information age depends on providing services that allow efficient access to and distribution of information. Rural economic development and educational opportunities will ultimately depend upon the quality of telecommunication systems. Healthcare training, diagnosis, and analysis can be delivered and maximized statewide through telecommunications. Educating our children and retraining our workforce will be enhanced by it. Full participation in an in international economic community requires a high-quality telecom system. Maintaining a quality environment and avoiding congestion depends in part on our ability to substitute information movement for people movement. Uh, and again, this is in, in 1991 before we had the Internet, and I think it's an amazing um, analysis uh, and uh, and set of recommendations, you know, that that the state has been incorporating over the past 20 years. Mm -hmm. Now, in practical terms, what has it meant to have this kind of policy and forward thinking at the at the highest level of state government? Well, again, I think it's been useful. You know, as, if we look at what the role and purpose of policy is, you know, is to provide guidelines. And, uh, and coordination of activity, uh, and hope, hopefully move uh, you know things in a in a desired uh, direction. Um, you know why, why did we have uh, why do we do this in Oregon or or you know how, what was the uh, background on it? You know I, I think in part we were just fortunate to have individuals in advisory and policy making positions that st saw strategic value and acted on it. And, uh, and I think that's a characteristic of the state. You know, we, we have a tradition uh, of being proactive and collaborative by nature. You know, we can look at things like, uh, like one of the nation's first bottle bills, uh, one of the first uh, nation's uh, engagement in land use, uh, urban planning. Um, early on, uh, Oregon uh, actively recruited IT uh, companies to locate in the state, you know, and is focused on an innovation strategy now that, that – uh, you know, uh, is focused on knowledge-based businesses uh, lo locating in the state. So, mm -hmm. you know, again, it's a, it's a strategic choice, and it's a um, 
uh, an act of policymaking. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Very, very interesting. So uh, am I correct to assume that um, as folks have developed this policy or as folks develop these policies, someone within this government structure was developing mechanisms for measuring the success of these policies? Would that, would that be correct? Uh, yeah, we've had uh, over the years a number of programs uh, for a number of years. There was an Oregon benchmarking um, uh, project that uh, uh, provided ongoing you know, measurement of, of things like uh, computer ownership and um, uh, and uh, internet subscription and uh, other other application uh, uh, regarding information technology, as well as other quality of life uh, metrics. Mm-hmm. And well, then uh, we, we've had for the last several years we've had the Oregon Broadband Mapping Project. Uh, which, of course, one of the projects funded by the State Broadband Data and Development uh, Program and administered by NTIA. Uh, and, uh, and through that, we have been, uh, again, measuring uh, broadband uh, availability, um, looking at service providers, technologies, available speeds, and so forth throughout, uh, throughout the state. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would gather that it is important to not only have uh, policy proclamations of which you know they can be coming out you know dime a dozen sometimes it seems, but the the important thing is to establish the policy, but also to establish the benchmarks because the benchmarks is what you use to hold people accountable, right? I mean that's, that to me would be the difference between you know a governor making a general broad proclamation, yeah we want to be first in the nation and so forth and so on in broadband. But establishing benchmarks, establishing effective uh, broadband mapping, establishing you know criteria by which you know economic development or education uh, success is measured, is the uh, I guess call it the stick that offsets the carrots of you know of encouraging good uh, policy implementation. Um, is that a fair assessment? Uh- in part, I think it's certainly valuable to to measure performance and measure uh, achievement, you know, against against a stated goal. Uh, maybe not so much as a uh, you know means of holding people accountable or, or or having a stick. You know, I think another characteristic of uh, Oregon's policy in the area of telecommunications and broadband is that the you know the, the state has um, I think pointed to. Uh, 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 Objectives and goals, and, and citing the importance and value and essential nature of telecommunications uh, as infrastructure, but, but the state hasn't, you know, embarked on any um, major builds of infrastructure. hasn't, you know, um, has been provided some financing, but not a tremendous amount of fa- financing. Uh, primarily, it's relied on the actions of the private sector to, um, you know, t- to uh, achieve those goals. So, you know, this, the state. Plays more the role of a convener and facilitator, uh, and, and not so much as a builder uh, of infrastructure. And, and, and fortunately, we've had you know, many uh, progressive service providers in the state that have that have um, made major investments and have been uh, uh, industry leaders in, in deployment. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So they're basically able to bring the necessary partnerships together and and so forth. Uh, let's look at this question if you have um 
policy or if you don't have policy at the local level what's what should be the level of engagement at the local level in whether or not you know your state has not your state I mean you know the general audience that your states have effective um policy because I mean I think there's a gap between at least perception of a distance between you know policy making that goes on in the state capital versus the day-to-day lives of your average community. Yeah. Well, I think uh, engagement at the local level is just tremendously important and valuable where it happens. And, and I think we see the results of that if we look you know, across Oregon and I'm sure uh, across the country. You know, there'll be um, one medium or small-sized town that's got fiber to the home in place and another uh, that you know, has a substantially less uh, infrastructure in place. And uh, when you look at, well, why, why is that? And, and, and typically it's because there was a local champion, uh, a local uh, business or government leader uh, that strategically saw the value in it, wanted to make it happen, and did make it happen through, you know, through active policy and, and uh, initiatives in that local community. So uh, I think local community engagement and leadership um, on, on uh, broadband infrastructure adoption and now, uh, or I'm sorry, infrastructure deployment, and now increasingly adoption and utilization at the local level is really important. Uh, where state-level policy can assist, and the national-level policy for that matter, uh, is to you know, frame the issue, you know, identify it as something that um, local leaders should be looking at and you know, evaluating what their resources and uh, uh, capabilities are and uh, against you know, what they need to be to uh, solve their problems and, uh, and, and meet their goals and objectives. So uh, again, this uh, hierarchy of, of, of policy uh, from the national level with the National Broadband Plan um, over the last few years and at the state levels to which uh, it can exist and, and provide uh, guidance and direction as well as just promoting the issue, generating awareness of, um, of, of this as an issue and as an activity that should be engaged in uh, helps to you know, build a foundation on which local communities and local uh, leaders uh, can, can pick it up and run with it. Mm-hmm. That, that makes a lot of sense. That definitely makes a lot of sense. Well, let's talk about... Um some of the uh the manifestations i guess of the you know of a healthy proactive um policy uh position so um here in in Chattanooga uh we're going to be experiencing demo day tomorrow this gig tank program which basically brings a lot of development teams into Chattanooga for a 3 month program of developing applications that take advantage of the gigabit network you know taking advantage of Chattanooga's net, the network and one of the areas that um is represented is one in which um Oregon uh, has a lot of uh, what I call really positive progress, and that is telemedicine. You know, I've I've talked about this not a lot, but definitely uh, to some extent. And, you know, and there are certain challenges to um, to, to uh, telemedicine uh, for, for a number of reasons. But I wanted to sort of reference the um, uh, the, the the Chattanooga. Uh, projects here because one of them specifically deals with telemedicine, monitoring uh, individuals at home, you know, particularly elderly folks, 
um, and, and having the relatives be able to monitor them and so forth. And, and, and you and I, Chris, talked a little bit about this beforehand, but you're very bullish on this as an application category. Um, what's the value of, of this particular um, uh, type, uh, category of, of telemedicine application? And then we can kind of talk to the bigger policy issues of, you know, what things you guys have done at a policy level that is facilitating the advancement of telemedicine applications at a local level. Okay, well, just a, just a quick comment. You mentioned, uh, I think, uh, in-home uh, patient monitoring. Uh, I think that is a uh, that will be a very fast growing and, and valuable application uh, in the future. Um, and of course, you know, we'll, we'll look at uh, various um, methods of, uh, of tracking uh, a patient's uh, um, you know, health indicators, uh, weight, uh, blood pressure, uh, taking the medication, other whatever, whatever uh, useful um, uh, things would be uh, able to record. Um, and I think it's going to contribute to the ability for uh, for people <clears throat> to stay in their homes uh, as opposed to uh, going to um, you know healthcare facilities um, or, or other extended care facilities. Uh, and of course, it's I think a much less expensive uh, means of, of providing healthcare if that can be done in a home environment versus doing that in a uh, a professional care environment. Mm-hmm. So um, let's let's talk about some of the the challenges. I think one of the biggest challenges of um, telemedicine is that you've got to convince or find an easy way for insurance companies to uh, to to compensate someone for delivering telemedicine services. Because the nature of broadband is such that you don't necessarily have to be in the same physical area to receive treatment. And you don't necessarily have to be in the same area, you know, the same state to be the users of particular types of telemedicine application. I mean, you talk about patient monitoring, you know, the relatives that use the application may be in five different states, whereas the patient might live um, in, in Oregon. So this issue of trying to find or, or I guess streamline the process of repayments. Is that one of the uh, policy issues that you guys have have passed? Because I know there's about three or four, you know, key policies that you have just about telemedicine. But is home monitoring? Well, I, I think Oregon is recognized as a national leader in the area of telemedicine, and this is by, primarily due to I think proactive uh, healthcare providers in our state, notably uh, Oregon Health and Science University. Uh, the Legacy Health System, Providence, Kaiser Permanente, uh, Asante Health System, and the St. Charles Medical Center in Bend, which was a very early adopter of uh, telemedicine. You know, they, they've been the uh, primary drivers. But I, I think that uh, two of the largest uh, obstacles or barriers to the growth of, of telemedicine, the adoption of telemedicine as a uh, healthcare delivery uh, method, uh, is is in uh, reimbursement. You know the the uh, uh, insurance companies uh, um, providing reimbursement of of clinical services delivered over telemedicine, um, and then also um, uh, credentialing. Uh, 
physician credentialing at at remote hospitals, which is uh, typically a um, uh, a difficult and uh, and and time intensive uh, administrative uh, task, and 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 also and also expensive. And uh, and Oregon has uh, in recent years uh, passed legislation to address both those issues. Um, and the, and the key legislation uh, first was in uh, 2009. Uh, the governor signed a bill which became law in January 2010, which broadly stated requires health benefit plans to provide coverage of uh, medically necessary health services provided through telemedicine if the health services are otherwise covered by the plan. Mm -hmm. uh, that was an important uh, step forward in addressing the reimbursement issue. And the second uh, bill was passed just this year in, in uh, this, the spring's legislative session, and that requires uh, the Oregon Health Authority to adopt uniform credentialing and privileging standards for providers of telemedicine services. Uh, it authorizes hospitals to accept credentials of telemedicine providers either by agreement with distance site hospital or by providers meeting credentialing and, pri and privileging standards established by the authority. And there was a sister bill that required the Oregon Medical Board to establish a database for the purpose of providing credentialing organizations with information that's necessary to credential persons uh, regulated by the board. So mm -hmm. that will that should help to streamline and uh, and make more manageable uh, the physician credentialing process, and then enabling physicians to get reimbursed to get paid for services they provide. Uh, through through telemedicine, uh, again, uh, equal, equally valuable. Um, so I think those are two Im important barriers, and uh, and, and we've tried to take steps here to overcome those specific barriers in Oregon. Mm -hmm. Was that an easy um, political initiative to get across the finish line? Uh, I mean, you know, on the face of it, it seems very logical, but I also know that, you know, when you get into the heart of some of these battles because of, you know, certain areas of private sector interests and other, you know, factors, these things can become political hot potatoes. But, you know, were, were these kind of easy things to work through the system? No, they were not. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, in, in the case of reimbursement, I think it took uh, three or four years of, you know, uh, multiple attempts. Uh, and it ultimately happened, again, through a process of collaboration and participation in, uh, in drafting a bill that addressed the needs and concerns of, of, of all the parties. Wow. So so now what what took so long? What, what was it? Was it the complexity of the issue or the nature of the industry? Well, uh, both. I know it, it, it is a complex uh, issue, and any time that you you know start to mess with um, uh, the structure of, of how it works and and, uh, and and who gets paid and and, and how they get paid, you know, um, that, that raises a lot of red red flags uh, for individuals. Uh, we we had a um, in the early 2000s we had a uh, an advisory council, the Oregon Telecommunications Coordinating Council, uh, which you know engaged in telemedicine issues, and there was a spinoff uh, committee. Or there was a committee in that in that council, which was spun off eventually into a 501c3 uh, corporation. That's the uh, Telehealth uh, Alliance of Oregon, and I think they were instrumental in in um, 
you know, uh, achieving the, the, the collaboration and involvement of all the parties to make it uh, um, uh, ultimately happen. Um, but uh, without that coordination and collaboration and participation in, in the in the uh, in the process to develop uh, that new structure, uh, you're going to have um, you know interveners and objectors uh, when that bill comes to to the legislature. And of course, legislators don't like controversy and um, uh, and opposition. So you know, uh, typically they say, okay, you guys go work it out, and uh, when you come to a solution, come back to us. <laughs> so it's a uh, it's a definite um it's a it's a definite challenge. There was um huh, interesting. No, cuz I'm you know I'm 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 looking through some notes and you know th- this whole thing of uh uniform credentialing and privileging standards and and all the rest of it. I assume that every state is going to have to to work through this issue in order to fully realize the value of telemedicine, aren't they? Because every state has its own set of boards and processes and privileging criteria and so forth and so on. Is this going to be a a, a, a long slog on a state-by-state basis? Uh, well, you know, it, it is a, a complex issue, and, and, and those states – uh, have uh, have different requirements in the area, and you know even individual uh, uh, medical institutions, hospitals, and health systems may have their own specific uh, uh, requirements. So, yeah, it is a difficult um, uh, process to work through. And again, it was difficult just within within our state, and took uh, you know multiple attempts and, and, and a lot of uh, effort to to again address everyone's. Uh, Interests and concerns, and come to an acceptable um, uh, agreement that everyone would would be able to support. Mm-hmm. Now, this also brings up a question in my mind, which is: once these initiatives get engaged at this level, and you're dealing with the level of complexity and so forth, and industry entrenchment, legislative entrenchment, and so forth, is there anything that local communities can do other than to be a bystander, or can can communities somehow, uh, you know, get into the, the 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 process and help affect an outcome? No, well, I, again, I think uh, uh, engagement at the local level uh, is important in all things, and and it certainly has proven to be, you know, a key factor in uh, telecom related issues of broadband in both deployment. Uh, as well as adoption uh, and utilization, and I think uh, you, you need those uh, uh, local community uh, leaders and uh, participating in, in these processes uh, for them to work as well. Mm-hmm. So they can't. Uh, so, so basically, the, the bottom line is that um, you know people at a, at a certain level locally have to to deal with this issue. Um, you know, it can't be just about building the, the the infrastructure. You know, I mean, obviously there's a lot of money and there's a lot of time that gets put into this just that effort alone. But I think then what you're what you're getting to is that the um, the effort to reach the benefits that we're being promised, you know, that broadband will deliver is going to require an engagement at the lo- local level beyond just can we get this infrastructure built 
can we just do like say for example Chattanooga is doing which is bringing all this talent here for months to develop new applications but but people also have to have some you know one or two or some number of folks at the local level following and staying engaged at what's going on at the state uh policy making and the state lawmaking level to, to really get the full on benefits that are promised yeah, and I think you know, Chattanooga is probably a good uh, case in point. You know, you've got uh, you, you said you know, one of the first uh, gigabit cities. Why? Why Chattanooga? Why is that resource there? Why? And, and I think I would suspect it's because there was a local champion there that mm-hmm. um, uh, that had the vision and uh, and acted on it and, mm-hmm. and, and made it happen in Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. Definitely makes a lot of sense. There. Um I had a thought there for a second. It was about the oh, I know. So the the issue of telemedicine and economic development. This, in my humble opinion, doesn't get uh, kicked around, discussed a lot. But I think certain communities are finding that uh, how well they address uh, healthcare and telemedicine, you know, medical apps of a variety of natures. Um, is going to have some either direct or indirect impact on local economic development. What are your thoughts in this area? Well, I agree very much with that. Uh, I think quality health care is an important component of quality of life for any community of any size. So you know, the availability of quality health care is an asset uh, that can be used for attracting and retaining businesses and residents and the lack of availability of quality health care is a real detriment to attracting and retaining businesses uh, and, and, and residences. And, um, and I think this is a, a national issue, particularly when we look at rural areas and, uh, and, and small towns, um, and looking for a, an effective way to deliver quality health care to people wherever they might live. And this will be increasingly uh, an issue as you know the population of the United States grows older and requires more uh, ongoing um, uh, medical care. Because if you're in a in a small town uh, in a rural area of a state and you don't have uh, access to health care, you're going to have to drive you know three, four, maybe five hours. Uh, to get that care. So are you going to be able to remain a, a resident of that town or are you going to need to, to move someplace where, where that health care uh, is available? Um, so, it's, so it's a real important issue uh, for for the quality of life you know, in any given community. And it is certainly a key issue when you look at uh, economic development strategies and, and attracting new businesses and residents uh, to, any, to any given community. Mm-hmm. Now, is there a, um easy way to draw uh, numerical, I don't know, evidence? I'm getting ready to do a survey of economic development professionals, which I do this every year. And um, this time around, I want to address the, you know, the issue of, of, of uh, health care delivery, telemedicine and so forth and economic development, you know, from the folks in the economic development profession. Um are we at a point where we can uh, measure this stuff, or are we still at a, you know, our, most of our evidence is um, uh, anecdotal? Well, I think we're certainly at a point where we should be uh, measuring it. 
And, and again, you know, the, the value is in time and place utility. If you know, patients can uh, have consultations, if they can meet with specialists, through um, you know high quality video conferencing setups that they can they can receive clinical services uh, uh, from you know re- remotely locating, lo- located uh, physicians uh, that's that's really valuable. They're not having to drive long distances. They're not having to uh, you know stay o- overnight at another area. And you know in a, in a place like Oregon where we have we have you know during during the winter. Um, Roads can be treacherous. They can be icy. They can be snowy, um, and as it's a different, you know, additional stress and difficulty in traveling long distances in order to receive healthcare. So, our ability to deliver those services to people where they live uh, is very valuable on a whole host of different levels. Mm-hmm. Then that you know that definitely makes uh, that definitely makes a lot of sense. I think it's going to be you know interesting to see what the you know, in essence, your colleagues in the economic development world think about uh, this, and and uh, you know what kinds of results they've seen. Uh, you know, how do we continue to move this forward? You know, it's a logical, it's a logical, you know, uh, hypothesis. You know, you kind of say it, and people kind of look and go, "Oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense." But uh, you know, you kind of have to get them past the hurdle. I mean, you also have to, you know, while you're trying to deal with telemedicine as a as an economic development issue you still have to worry about these logistics you know coming back to the policies about you know credentialing and reimbursements and all the rest of it so again it is it still continues to be a complex discussion and you know this is definitely not for the for the faint of heart here no. um, as, as well as you no know, providing ongoing uh, continuing education for for healthcare service providers uh, we've had another uh, another initiative in Oregon, which is the uh, the Oregon Health Network, and uh, this is a, uh, a network that started from scratch uh, and was uh, supported in, in large part through the FCC's Rural Healthcare Pilot Program. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we set out to establish a high performance, um, uh, robust, uh, managed uh, IP network. To connect uh, Oregon uh, healthcare providers as well as uh, as educational institutions uh, for providing ongoing um, healthcare training and and uh, cert- and certification. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's been up uh, several years now and uh, has over 200 uh, member sites that include clinics, hospitals, uh, data centers, and community colleges that provide healthcare education and and um, and, and certification. Mm-hmm. Now, in uh, shift the uh, focus a little bit here, um, do you have uh, a number of communities uh, in Oregon that are working toward uh, having gigabit networks? That, at least that you know of, are folks primarily looking at fiber, but maybe at lesser speeds uh, currently? Where, where, where are, where is Oregon in this whole idea of you know states having gigabit cities? Uh, I think uh, you know we're, we're very much uh, interested in, in following that trend. We have uh, a lot of fiber deployment uh, in the state um, by uh, by telecom service providers of all of all types. You know, including uh, telcos, uh, cable c- 
companies and uh, and municipal networks. Um, I'm not going. I'm not going to throw out a name. I think we've got uh, uh, several that are capable of delivering gigabit service. Uh, no, uh, I'm not aware of anybody that's really making a big um, issue of that uh, mm-hmm. at, at the moment. So. Is the, um, is there a lot of? I don't know. Are there a number of folks at the community levels that see this as the logical goal? You know, sometimes I, I talk about the fact that. You know, we have the you know political leadership that talks about well, we need to have a gigabit, we need to go in this direction, and so forth. And sometimes you have to wonder, well, are folks following this lead? Uh, should they be following this lead? I mean, in Oregon, you know, is is the gigabit that big of a deal, or is this primarily people are head down? You know, do we have enough fiber? Do we have enough broadband, irregardless of exact speed? You know, how how would you kind of Evaluate that. Well, you know, when we, we talk, I mean, the broadband itself is a moving target. You know, uh, just, yeah. just the definition of the word means different things uh, to uh, to different people. Um, so, you know, I think a gigabit is another another line in the sand, um, another goal. Um, and I'm and I think everybody, uh, or not everybody, I think most. Oh, let me say, put it this way: I think most people recognize that. Uh, the trans broadband transmission speeds will continue to increase over time. So when you're you're given the question, you know, how much broadband do you need? Uh, you know, the answer is more. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, so I think we will look at a continuous uh, uh, progression of uh, broadband service providers increasing uh, the capabilities of their networks in in terms of speed and reliability. Mm-hmm. And and uh, as far as you know, is is gigabit service uh, required? You know, well, I guess it depends on the individual user. Mm-hmm. But they definitely see the you know they see the need for um, you know for definitely fast enough speed and so forth. Now, how is um, Oregon? You know, we talk about or you talked about the fact that it's it's um, a fairly large landmass relative to population. Um, is that a good dis- description? I mean, you have one or two main, I guess, metro areas, and then there's just a lot of rural, or is it, are the rural areas kind of concentrated in one part of the state in terms of rural communities? No, it's, it's, it's the, uh, uh, the population areas are, are more concentrated in in the Willamette Valley, the I-5 I- corridor, in Portland, Salem, Eugene, and then we have large expanses of uh, territory um uh, that are that are rural and even classified by the Census Bureau as frontier. Well, um, and well, we also have large uh, p- portions of the state that are federally owned that are you no know, national forest land or Bureau of Land Management uh, lands. Mm-hmm. So, so you definitely uh, rural is definitely a part of the Oregon landscape there, no doubt. Yeah, and and a very important. Uh, consideration. So, you know, when you talk about the need for, you know, local uh, engagement in, in policy discussion issues, uh, there's a good illustration right there of why it's so important. Because, you know, the the interests and and concerns of uh, a healthcare provider or a business or you know a, a local uh, or, or a resident in in a metropolitan area, um, you know, it may be different than those located in a rural. Area or, or or a small town, particularly in terms of of what's available to them, 
um, and, and, and the resources that are available, though oftentimes the needs are very much the same. Mm -hmm. Do you have, um, shifting just a little bit again, do you have, uh, I don't know, aggressive local um, application development uh, activities? I mean, like, like, for example, um, Kansas City has a lot of pockets of innovation. They have, you know, this thing called Startup Village. They have a lot of uh you know different segments of the the uh, of the business community getting together and meeting on a regular basis to brainstorm ideas for the next level of applications chicago had a uh application development summit uh, a few months ago chattanooga i mean that's that's what this whole demo day is about is showing off um activities uh, i'm sorry showing off application development and they've teamed with uh, mozilla ignite to to help do that so you start to see as certain gigabit networks come online or the promise of gigabit networks come online a a sense of um you know frenetic energy around you know innovation and creating the next apps even if the apps aren't going to require the individual have a gigabit to run them you know the fact that they're in a gigabit workspace if you will that they have the speed they need to really push the envelope from a development standpoint, um, you know, that's that's where you see it or why you see a lot of this activity unfolding. Is Oregon going to be that way, do you think? Will will there be, uh, you know, especially since you've got two, you know, major colleges up there, Oregon State and University of Oregon, will there be centers of innovation and application development do you see in, in Oregon's future? Oh, uh, we, we have a, you know, today we you know have okay. – um, uh, well, you know, we have an active uh, software development uh, community, private sector. We also have a very large. Um, I think we're we're a center for activity for open source software uh, development uh, in particular. Um, and uh, and and we do have uh, you know a number of uh, business incubators and um, uh, innovation uh, uh, strategies in play. Uh, here in, in, in the state today. Um, we also have a growing uh, community of uh, you know, movie and uh, and video production uh, that's uh, been taking place uh, in Oregon, and uh, those also tend to be a high uh, bandwidth uh, operations uh, as well as the you know, these um, uh, as the product is edited and, and shipped back and forth to to Los Angeles and other parts of of the country for for uh, post production work, mm -hmm. but we do, we have a lot of uh, uh, movie and video uh, filming that takes place in uh, in Oregon. Although filming is a past past dated word, <laughs> it's all digital now. It's all digital now. Uh, it's all digital. Yeah. That's uh, that's interesting. Let me ask you to, to speculate on a on a um, comment here. There were there were a couple of journalist folks that I was talking to earlier today, and we were discussing whether or not when all of a sudden people realize the like the full on changing nature of uh, video. The fact that, like, for example, we're doing this this radio show, right? And, and 20 years ago, you needed a studio, you know, massive amount of equipment. Then you needed licenses. And you needed a whole, you know, apparatus to, to make a radio show work in any kind of, 
you know, local, let alone national level. And now because of the um, the Internet, you know, I can have a laptop and a microphone and be in a, you know, hotel room anywhere, really, and be a radio show, be a broadcast outlet. Um, if the same, you know, level hits the video realm, where basically anybody and their, and their aunt, their siblings, whatever, can create TV stations, you know, whether there's a traditional TV broadcast event, um, is that going to result in a massive uh, broadband adoption and usage? And will our current infrastructure be able to withstand that kind of demand? Well, once again, you know, the infrastructure is always a work in progress. And as we talked about earlier, I think we're going to we're on a, a constant uh, progression of of that infrastructure being improved over time to ha- increase its service capabilities and and re- and increase its reliability. And th- and what you're like pointing to is another you know, driver application uh, that's going to drive adoption. You know, I think we're increasingly moving to IP networks to um, you know receive uh, entertainment content. Mm-hmm. No. Now, and, uh, that, sorry, go ahead. So, so again, I think that I think uh, yes, that will drive more adoption over time uh, for people who you know that that's their that's their primary primary application, their primary need is to you know for, for that communications is is receiving entertainment programming. Um, but now, instead of getting it over the air, perhaps from a broadcast uh, TV station or uh, over a uh, uh, from from a from a cable. Network or from from a satellite uh, service provider, they're going to you know start receiving that uh, over uh, you know as an IP stream over over an IP network. Now that IP network service may still be provided by the uh, by the cable TV company or or the satellite provider, but it's going to be you know moving to IP as a delivery format. Mm-hmm. It will prove to be very um, very interesting how this all uh, unfolds. By the way, speaking of um, community uh, networks and efforts and so forth locally, does Oregon have a lot of communities that own their own network or have public-private partnerships to deliver broadband? Well, we we have a number of municipal uh, networks that are uh, uh, in the state, probably no more than than other other states do, you know, and, and typically uh, the, the ones that do exist uh, got there because they couldn't get service any other way, you know, uh, ten and and uh, fifteen years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, once again, back to that local champion and the local community that uh, saw a need and, and acted on it. Right, right, right. So um, then, then we know uh, of, uh, a couple of uh, uh, no, we have, again some some communities that have um, municipal networks providing uh, fiber to the home. Uh, one really interesting um, uh, project in particular was in the Dalles, uh, Oregon. They uh, uh, developed what, I, what they call the Q Life uh, network, and it was essentially a commercial uh, fiber uh, uh, deployment in. In the city of the Dalles, uh, and, and it was a collaboration between the port, the county, and uh, and the city, and and it was a you know kind of a, a home run project because uh, because of that network they were uh, eventually 
uh, successful in recruiting Google to locate a, um, a major data center in their town. Mm -hmm. Which is always uh, a plus when you can bring in some of these larger uh, businesses. What do you see as being, um, I don't know, the driving applications that will spur broadband adoption in, in Oregon? I mean, we've talked a lot about telemedicine, and, and you obviously see uh, a strong future for that. Will that be maybe the big driving force in, in, in Oregon? Do you see, um, you know, education transformation as being the thing that a lot of folks will get on? Or will there be no one thing? It will always be a sort of an ongoing evolution of things. I don't think it'll be any one thing uh, other than the fact that, you know, uh, the world is moving to the Internet as the primary platform uh, for conducting business, for communicating, uh, you know, for, for storing information, for retrieving information, uh, for education, for entertainment, all those applications, and it's going to be all of them together, uh, you know, that, that drive it. Mm -hmm. um, not 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 a single killer app. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, listen, I think our wrap-up question, because we're just about out of time. Um, as a, we're going to put you in consultant in consultant mode here for a minute. If you were addressing a room full of your colleagues, you know, folks similar to yourself who have statewide responsibility, what would be the one or two things that you would say they should focus on? to ensure that they're always getting forward-thinking policy from the state level that impacts broadband at the local level? Well, I just have to come back again to, you know, to engagement um, and participation in the process. If there's not engagement in the, and participation in the process, then you're not going to have any, uh, you know, effect on, on the outcome. Mm-hmm. So, so, so you definitely got to have a participatory process in order to make this, uh, to make policy be truly effective at 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 the local level. And 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 in the area of broadband specifically, you know, if, if we're looking at goals of of having broadband services, um, you know, in your town, in your community, having infrastructure deployed, um, you know, the, the best incentive for investment. And broadband infrastructure and providing services is paying customers. So uh, the fact, the the extent to which we can drive uh, these wide variety of applications from e-commerce to e-government to public safety to healthcare um, to uh, uh, to education, if I didn't uh, mention that that before, to uh, energy management. Uh, and and smart grids. The more you know, valuable user applications that we can adopt and and put to use, uh, you know, that drives uh, the need for bandwidth and that drives uh, the need for services. And if you're a paying customer for um, the, those applications, you're going to attract investment and that continued uh, improvement and development of the infrastructure in your area. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think there's. There is value in local communities, you know, assessing where they are and how they're using this available tool um, to to solve their problems and 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 to achieve their objectives. And uh, you know, oftentimes uh, you know it gets overlooked as a, a tool that could be used strategically. Um, mm -hmm. 
by by local communities uh, as well as individual businesses as well as as individuals. Gotcha. Well, this has been a very uh, enlightening conversation, and I appreciate you taking time uh, to talk with the audience about what's going on in Oregon. And, uh, you know, I have to say I'm very uh, impressed with, you know, the amount of forward thinking that has gone into, you know, the policymaking process there. Uh, you know, because I look at some of the other states, and there there's definitely, you know, a lack in some places of this kind of forward thinking uh, that's needed, I believe, in this whole broadband era. So, you know, I think you guys definitely are on the right track and have been for quite a while. Uh, but keep up the good work. You know, keep it keep it moving forward. Thanks, Greg. I appreciate it. No worries. Uh, and to our audience, thank you for uh, joining us uh, again. We will be back on uh, Wednesday also broadcasting uh, from Chattanooga, where we will be talking about the Internet of Things, machine-to-machine uh, -machine communication, which I promise to be a very lively uh, discussion in its own right. Um, again, thank you for, for being with us, and we will talk to you again soon. Take care.